Very good. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, worship team. A very spirited time of worship. Appreciate the worship team leading us today. I told Brandon that I was going to come up and sing some songs with him this morning. And he said, Pastor Tony, stay in your lane this morning. So this is my lane. It's time to preach. It's time to study God's word. I want to invite you to turn to the passage read. Those of you who are tuning in right now online, those downstairs, let's look at Romans 14, 13 through 23. As we look at this passage that emphasizes unity in the body of Christ, Paul, Paul's plea for unity is Romans 14. And last week I gave you this list of debatable matters that Christians sometimes disagree on, where we need to learn to love each other and, and agree to disagree on. I mentioned movies, I mentioned drinking, I mentioned dancing, I mentioned vaccines, I mentioned birth control, etc. And and maybe last week you got offended by that list and some of the things you said, maybe you didn't. Well, I've been thinking about that some more this week. And after meeting with my small group, I came up with a new list of things that Christians disagree about. So just in case you weren't offended last week... Maybe I'll get you today. I don't know. Here's some additional items that Christians disagree on. How about tattoos? Should I get a tattoo, Pastor Tony? Yes or no? How about yoga? What about yoga, Pastor Tony? What about playing cards? That that might not be that big a deal in today's culture, but I heard a story once about D.L. Moody, one of my heroes that... When some friends of his were playing cards before an evangelistic crusade, he got so angry, he went and flipped over the card table and rebuked them for playing cards. And I I remember someone in this church asked me once to come play euchre with him, and I said, no, I don't want to play euchre. And he said, oh, why? Do you think it's sinful? I said, no, I don't think euchre is sinful. I I think it's boring. (laughs) Here are some other issues that Christians disagree on. How about Bible versions, right? KJV, NIV, ESV, NASB. How about Halloween? Should we celebrate? How about Harry Potter? Should we read it or not? How about Sabbath observance? Another one of my heroes, Eric Little, he refused to run on Sunday. He had a chance for a gold medal. He refused to run. Now, Eric Little is what we would call a Sabbatarian. He held that Sunday was as Sabbath in the Old Testament, and so we shouldn't work or do anything like that. I don't agree with him on that. Although you have to admire Eric Little for his conviction in that matter. There's something admirable about what he did, even though, like I said, I don't agree with that. Here's some other issues that Christians disagree on. Let's get a little more current. How about gender pronouns? Should we extend that to others as a professional courtesy or not? That's a tough issue, and we might disagree on that. How about attending a homosexual wedding? I have my convictions on that, but I have good friends that would disagree with me on that matter. How about Christmas time and teaching your kids about Santa Claus? Don't tell your kids to come ask Pastor Tony about Santa Claus, because I'm going to tell them the truth, all right? (laughs) How about environmental conscientiousness, limiting limiting your carbon footprint in our world? How about social justice issues? 
How about debatable theological issues, the timing of the rapture, the Christian understanding of predestination? These things Christians disagree on. And to complicate this matter even further, not only do Christians disagree on these debatable matters as, you know, these non-essential matters, but sometimes we disagree about whether or not they're even non-essential. And some people elevate what we might call a non-essential issue to an essential issue. That complicates the situation. And that's why it's good for a church to have its doctrinal statement clearly stated so that everybody who is a parishioner at that church knows clearly what the church views as essential. And, and like I said last week, I, I really want to repeat this. It's good for a church to have diversity of opinion on these different non-essential issues, okay? Uniformity is not what we're going for here. It's unity. Unity with diversity is beautiful. It's beautiful to have different opinions in this church on some of these secondary matters and still abide by a unity with one another. That's beautiful, but I'll just tell you, that's not easy. That's not easy in a church when we have differences of opinion and when we have passion behind those differences of opinion. Sometimes it's difficult to manage those differences of opinion And you know what? That's why Paul wrote Romans 14. Praise God for this chapter. Aren't you glad this chapter's in the Bible? It's teaching us how to learn to live with one another and love one another. I'm so glad this chapter's in the Bible. It's so illuminating for our lives. Paul is graciously teaching us how to live together, love one another when we have disagreements. And by the way, for our passage today, Romans 14, 13 through 23, Paul addresses primarily in this section, in this section that we're looking at today, he addresses whom he calls the strong. The strong. He writes these verses to those who are strong in faith, those who can eat meat with a clear conscience, those who understand the Bible clearly and have a well-trained conscience concerning what they should do. And here's what Paul says to the strong. So listen up, those of you out there think, I'm a strong Christian. This is what Paul says to the strong. Be careful now, strong. Be careful in the way that you live your life so that you don't become a stumbling block to the weak. Live your lives in such a way that you care for the weak who maybe don't have the same liberty yet in Christ Jesus that you have. Unity is more important than your freedom to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. Brotherly love in the church is more important than personal liberty, so prioritize that for the sake of the church. That's what this message is about today. So let's talk about that. Let's unpack that this morning. Here's the question I want to ask and answer from your notes. How do we love others who disagree with us in the body of Christ? How do we love others who disagree with us in the body of Christ? Four answers to that question, four Ps. Here's the first Protect one another from stumbling. Protect one another from stumbling. In other words, be your brother's keeper, harvesticator. Protect one another from stumbling. Paul says in verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. That's a great Summary statement of verses 1 through 12 right there. That's the essence of our passage from last week. Don't pass judgment on one another for debatable secondary issues. But now Paul's asking us to go further. Don't just 
don't pass judgment, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now let's remember the context here. What, what is Paul addressing in the Roman church? The Roman church was a diverse church. You had Jews and Gentiles both. Some of those individuals, mainly Jews in the Roman church, had tender consciences as it related to diet and to days. They didn't want to eat meat. They were afraid that it might have been sacrificed to idols. They were so concerned about that that they essentially became vegetarians and they didn't eat any meat at all. Paul calls these believers weak in faith, verse 1. He's not trying to insult them by calling them weak in faith. He's just being clear with us that they are having a hard time coming to terms with how the New Testament revelation of Christ has changed regulation concerning diet and meat. Christ declared all meats good to eat, Mark 7, 19. God told Peter not to call unclean what he made clean. There's no reason that a New Testament Christian in Paul's day or in our day can't eat pork or shellfish or meat that may or may not have been sacrificed to idols. But if your brother or sister in Christ is struggling with that, don't put a stumbling block in front of them. Be careful that you don't wound them with your actions, is what he's saying. Now, stumbling block, I love this. This is a very descriptive term, stumbling block. I love that term because I love the metaphor of walking with Christ Jesus. Don't you, as growth, and I'm, I'm walking with Christ Jesus. We're moving. We're walking along. And when, when I say walking with Christ Jesus, we're not walking alone in isolation, like I'm over here and you're way over somewhere in some other country. Now, the whole idea of it, as Paul presents it to us in the scriptures, is that we're walking together with Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. We're growing in Christ Jesus. We're moving. We're developing. We're helping one another along. If someone slips, we pick them up and we help them. And, and when I'm walking with you and when you're walking with me, the last thing that I want to do as we're walking together is set a booby trap for you so that you trip and fall down. Put some big rock in front of you so that your walk with Christ becomes a fall on your face with Christ Jesus. I don't want to do that. I don't want to put a stumbling block as a stronger Christian. I want to help those who are weaker. I want to lead them to smooth pathways. I want to not personally be the one who trips them up. And then sometimes, let's just admit it, sometimes I'm the weak brother who needs some help from the stronger brothers and sisters, who needs some grace and some mercy and, and needs you to not put a stumbling block in front of me that'll trip me up because you care about me. This is good instruction for us so that we learn to live together and love each other. And look what Paul concedes in verse 14. He says, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is in is unclean in itself. In other words, all food is kosher, says Paul. In other words, Paul is agreeing with the strong. Over against, you're right, strong. You're right, strong believer. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean, i.e. the weak person. Verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, why would you want to grieve your brother? If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Don't grieve your brother. Don't damage your brother or distress him. Emphasize love instead. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So let's just imagine the situation in Rome. 
Just imagine that church now, and there's these two brothers in Rome who are worshiping together. There's a, a Jewish brother. We'll just call this Jewish brother Solomon, okay? And we have another Gentile believer who Paul calls the strong, and we'll just call that Gentile believer Julius. So we got Julius and we got Solomon, and they're living in fellowship together, and they're worshiping together. And Julius all of a sudden invites Solomon over for dinner, for some fellowship. Solomon comes over, comes time for the main course, and so Julius puts in front of Solomon a full rack of baby back ribs right off the grill. And Solomon is mortified, but he's got these Jewish scruples that are just bothering him. How could you do that? This is unclean. I've never done this. I've never eaten this. And how do you know that this meat wasn't sacrificed to some idol somewhere here in Rome? And he's just bothered, bothered, bothered. His conscience is afflicting him. And Julius on the other side, the strong one, right? The strong one. He says, come on, Solomon. Stop being so old school, man. Stop being so old testament. Haven't you heard what Jesus said? We can eat anything we want to. Haven't you heard what God told Peter? We can eat anything. Don't call anything unclean that's clean. And by the way, have you ever tasted pork before? You Jews have been missing out for centuries. This is good stuff. And all of a sudden, you got a conflict that didn't need to be there. you got some, some disharmony where there could have been fellowship and love for one another. Right? Something like that was happening in Rome. And Paul says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself. In other words, Julius, you're right, man. You're the strong believer. Nothing's unclean in itself. You can eat your baby back ribs if you want to. But if your brother is grieved by what you're, eat, what you're eating, you're, you're no longer acting in love. You're stumbling him. Emphasize love over eating whatever you want. Let me put it this way. Prioritize fellowship over food. Prioritize fellowship over food. The Australian theologian Leon Morris says it this way in his commentary on Romans. He says, for all its popularity among some Christians, judgment of others is an activity from which believers do well to abstain. I agree. For more important than censuring a weaker brother for some overscrupulous action, is it to make a firm resolve not to hinder such a weak brother in any way? And I love the final statement in verse 15. Paul says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. In other words, don't prioritize pork. Christ didn't die for pork. Christ didn't die so that you could eat pork. Christ died for your brother who maybe isn't ready yet to eat pork prioritize him grant osborne says this in verse about verse 15 in his commentary he says jesus surrendered his life on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for this person's salvation the weak brother and the strong have glibly brought them to spiritual ruin for the sake of exercising their christian liberty and winning the debate don't do that, Christian. Don't do that. Let's, let's contemporize this a little bit in our own society. I doubt any of you argue over whether or not to eat pork. Maybe some of y'all do. 
Christ died for your sister in Christ who thinks differently about social justice issues than you do. Don't let that be a divisive thing in your relationship. Christ died for your brother who reads from a different Bible version than you do. Don't let that be a divisive thing in your relationship. Christ died for that family that reads Harry Potter. And Christ died for that family that doesn't read Harry Potter. Christ died for those who celebrate Halloween and those who don't celebrate Halloween. To be honest, I don't know who the strong and who the weak is in that scenario. I don't know. Does it really matter? Does it really matter? Emphasize love for one another and the unity that you have in Christ Jesus instead of forcing division because you disagree on something. Prioritize unity in matters of disagreement and don't be a stumbling block to your brother or sister in Christ. Write this down as number two. Paul wants us to protect one another from stumbling. He also wants us to prioritize peace in the kingdom of God. Prioritize peace. Peace. Isn't peace a good thing? Don't you long for it? I do. Paul says in verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. In other words, if you have a disagreement, just let sleeping dogs lie, okay? There's no reason to get into it over something you disagree with, brother. It's better to just... Not create a situation where you have to draw a line in the sand. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, that is so good. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. That is such a great statement to live by right there in verse 17. Let me read this again and let me emphasize this a little bit more. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Everybody with me this morning? Emphasize that, Harvest Decatur. Paul's saying here, don't focus on externals, focus on eternals. Don't, don't create division among friends on, on things that are secondary matters. We all have those friends, you know, who want to make Christianity all about externals, want to fight about something. You can kind of smell it when it comes your way. Hey, Pastor Tony, what's your view on vaccines? Huh? Huh? Hey, Pastor Tony, what's your view on this? Hey, Pastor Tony, what's your view on this? You kind of like... Where are we going with this? Or people ask me, primarily outside the church, what my view is on some debated theological matter. What's your view on predestination, Tony? What's your view on the rapture? What's your view on women in ministry? Huh? It's kind of like waiting. Should I put my gloves on now? Or This actually happened to me once. I, went, I won't tell you who, who I went with, but I had some friends. We went to watch this basketball game, and it was college basketball. And there was this guy there that I didn't know who was a believer. And 
I'm just there to watch basketball, and he started peppering me with all these questions about my view of the Antichrist and my view of end times. And, and you know, you could kind of tell, like, whatever I said, if I didn't say the right thing, then he was going to dismiss me as somebody who wasn't credible. And, and the really sad thing is I agreed with most of the things that he was saying. I just didn't like the way that he was making this kind of kind of a doctrinal test. And I want to tell him, look, man, I'm just here to watch basketball. Can I just watch basketball? I don't want to fight about eschatology. And, and besides, why can't we focus on the things that unite us as believers instead of those peripheral things that divide us? Let's focus on righteousness. Let's focus on peace. Let's focus on joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's focus on the gospel. I'm tempted at this point to bring up masks and no masks. But I'm afraid I'm going to open up a Pandora's box. I can't close this morning. So I'm just going to defer to what we've written as elders. Because it's not just a Romans 14 issue, it's a Romans 13 issue. We've had to think that through, and it's been hard. I'll tell you what I want with that issue, though. Can I tell you what I want? I want peace. I want peace. And I don't want that issue to be something that divides the body of Jesus Christ. That makes my soul ache. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of masks or no masks, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's a third way to love others who disagree with you in the body of Christ. Pursue the upbuilding of fellow believers. Paul says in verse 19, So then... Let us pursue what makes for peace. There's that word again, peace. Shalom in Hebrew. Irene in Greek. God, give us peace in this church, I pray. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Everybody see that in your Bible? Upbuilding. Oikodome is the Greek. That is a great Greek word. Building up edification. Oida, oidea means house. So this is the idea of we're building up a house. We're building up each of us a structure in Christ Jesus. And the goal in that is to build up, build up, build up, and never tear down. Let us pursue what edifies, says Paul. Verses, look at verse 20. Here's the opposite. Do not, for the sake of food, this secondary issue, destroy the work of God. Focus on edification, not demolition in the church of God. Build one another up. Get your tool belt on. Go over to your friend's house. Build up their foundation. Tighten up their door frames. Help them put in some storm windows. Build up, build up, build up. Edify. Don't go over to your brother in Christ's house with the sledgehammer and start tearing stuff up. Focus on edification, not demolition. Everything is indeed clean, says Paul. There's that concession again. Paul agrees with the strong. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. 
Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine. This is the first mention of drinking wine, and it's not really the issue of alcoholism, although that's possible. The issue with wine is that just the same with meat. They would pour out the wine as a libation for idols. So they would abstain from drinking wine, Jews in this day, just like meat, because it was sacrificed to idols. But Paul says it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Paul says this elsewhere. I think this is a great summary of what he's saying here. This is Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. You got freedom, strong Christian. If you want to drink wine, you want to eat meat, do whatever, you got freedom. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, don't flaunt your freedom if it empowers the flesh of your brother. Don't flaunt your freedom if it empowers the flesh of your brother. Don't show off your liberty to the detriment of your brother. Martin Luther said it this way. This is very wise. He said, a Christian man is a most free Lord of all subject to none. I'm free in Christ Jesus. A Christian man is a most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. (laughs) That is the paradoxical reality of a servant of Christ Jesus. You are free in Christ Jesus. What are you using your freedom to to do? To, To love others, to serve others, to die to myself for the sake of others like Jesus did for me. That's what freedom is for. Not to just do whatever I want, whatever I want to do it. So back to my illustration. Let's go back to Julius and Solomon, okay? What should Julius have done in that scenario? Well, I think when he invites Solomon over for fellowship, he should have fed him vegetables, as painful as that would have been for him. Just don't let it be an issue with your brother. Just don't even bring it up, unless maybe you have enough trust built up between you to discuss the matter and talk about it. Set aside your own liberty for the sake of love for your brother, is what Paul is saying here. And you know what? So that's the strong. That's what the strong does for the weak. Let me just talk to the weak, if you're ever the weak in this scenario. If you're the one who's weak, this should go the other way. Don't force your tender conscience on everybody else so that everybody in the church has to do exactly what you say for every matter that you're tender about. That's, that's a measure of control, honestly, and that's unhealthy. Be willing to disagree with others on these matters without feeling the need to divide over that. Did everybody hear me on that? You know what? You know what our culture doesn't know what to do right now? Doesn't know how to, they don't know how to do this. They don't know how to disagree without hating the other person. If I disagree with you, I gotta hate you. And we've got to show them as Christians we can disagree on some stuff and still love each other. That doesn't mean we have to fracture our relationships. I had a friend several years ago. This is really personal for me, so I'll try to tell you this without getting too emotional. I had a a good friend who 
You know, we, we had this disagreement. It was kind of an abstruse matter about the Holy Spirit's work in someone's life. You know, and I, I told him, you know, I don't think the Holy Spirit would ever lead or convict us to do something that's not expressly stated in the Bible. And he, he disagreed strongly with me and said, no, no, no. Sometimes the Holy Spirit prompts us to do things, and you have to be obedient to that. And if you're not, you're in sin, and you can lead to destruction. And, you know, it's like, okay, what? I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. Let's agree to disagree, is what I told him. And he said, no, I don't agree to disagree. You're wrong. And I refuse to agree to disagree with you. <laughs> what, what do you do with that? And what he basically said is, I'm willing to blow up this relationship over this matter. Unless you agree with me. It's actually a form of control. He's trying to control what I said, what I believed, and making it conform to him. And if I didn't, he was just going to blow up the whole thing. And I watched this friend of mine who I cared a lot about. I watched his life, and he was just like TNT, going from one relationship to another. Every person, they disagreed with him, he blew it up. Is that how we're called to live as Christians when we disagree on stuff? Can we not do better than that? And I'm even willing, I'll be the, I'll be the weaker brother in some of these instances. Call me the weaker brother, but let's keep the relationship and not divide over this thing. I'll be honest with you too. I mean, that, that was my friend. There's a part of me that's like that too. Is this pastoral confession time? It's always like at 1040 or so. pastoral confession time there's a little bit of me that does that too i like to argue don't ask my elders it's true you know what i don't just like to argue i like to win arguments because i'm competitive and to my own shame sometimes i have emphasized the thing the issue the secondary issue over the relationship with that person shame on me for that I want to do better than that. And I will say this. I hope my elders can affirm this. As I've gotten older, I care more about peace than I care about being right. Now, if it's a primary issue, if it's the deity of Christ, if it's the Trinity, I'll die on a hill for that. But on a secondary issue where we can agree to disagree on some stuff, I, I want I want relationship. I don't want to blow that up. Maybe there's something you could teach me that I I don't understand. Maybe there's a way for me to grow. Maybe there's a way for I I can help you grow. How do I do that if we blow up the relationship? Some of you might know Charles Spurgeon. Famous preacher in London, 19th century. Spurgeon was very fond of his cigars. Did y'all know that? Here's this Baptist preacher smoking cigars all the time. And, and that was controversial even in his day. And someone asked him once why he did that. And he said, yeah, I smoke cigars, but I never smoke to excess. I never do that. And this person said, well, what's excess look like when you're smoking cigars? And he said, two cigars in your mouth at the same time. That's excessive. I don't do that. <laughs> that story is super famous among 
Baptists especially, but you might not know this, Spurgeon actually gave up smoking later in life. Did you know that? People don't tell this story. He was actually walking around London and he saw an advertisement for a store that said, we sell the cigar that Charles Spurgeon smokes. And he, he was convicted about that. He realized that his notoriety as a famous pastor was being used now to sell cigars. And so he gave up smoking. He gave up his freedom to smoke cigars because he was afraid it might cause other believers to stumble. You know what? I'll just tell you, that is a sign of maturity with a believer. That is a sign of maturity to say, you know what? I have the freedom to do this or that. But for the sake of my brother, because I love this person who maybe has a weaker conscience than I do on this matter, I'm going to abstain for the sake of relationship. That is maturity. And here's how Paul closes this passage. Write this down as number four in your notes. The final P. How do we love others who disagree with us in the body of Christ? We preserve a clear conscience. Paul says in verse 22, the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. That is a fascinating statement right there. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. If your conscience is afflicted by drinking beer, don't drink beer. If your conscience is afflicted by getting a tattoo or taking a medication or eating food sacrificed to idols, don't do it. Protect your conscience. Preserve it. But whoever has doubts, says Paul, verse 23, is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is really tricky. This is really tricky. So let me try to explain this as best I can. What Paul is saying here is that doubts will get you into trouble. Doing doubtful things that afflict your conscience is sinful. We should live lives of confidence and faith without doubts. We should be clear about what is right and what is wrong. And if we're unsure about a matter, we're better off not doing it to protect our conscience and to guard our conscience. And I was watching this interview this last week. Al Mohler was doing this this thinking in public interview with with this CIA operative, famous uh, man named James Olson, who actually ran the counterintelligence department in the CIA for several years. And they were talking about how in the CIA, sometimes you have to do these morally compromising things in order to protect lives, in order to protect the country. And it it was kind of delving into all these gray issues that honestly made me kind of feel uncomfortable. And one of the things that this man, James Olson, said is that, you know, he, he had to lie at different times. He had to deceive people in order to serve his country, in order to save lives during the communist uprising, during the Cold War, during the the terrorism threats in the 21st century. He had to do that in order to gain information, in order to protect us as Americans. He even explained how he teaches these things to other intelligence officers by referencing the Bible and the spies in the Old Testament and Rahab who lied to protect those spies. So he's like getting into this world of all these, you know, 
lesser of two evil arguments and it was very gray and it was, and, and I mean, I was fascinated by this whole conversation the whole time. And, and even early on in that conversation, I'll tell you, I, I told myself, I could never, ever, ever be a CIA agent. So if you're wondering if I am, I'm telling you right now, I'm not. <laughs> I couldn't do that. I, I guess I'm too much of a Puritan. My conscience would just afflict me constantly. But he, he had to do that in order to protect the country. I, maybe I'm the weaker brother. I don't know. But I'll just say that was a meat sacrifice to idols issues, and I could not afflict my conscience. I had this doctor once when I was in Chicago. I was stressed out in seminary, and I was having some physical problems several years ago. And this doctor diagnosed me, and he said, well, you're mostly okay. You just need to relax more. I was like, okay. So he told me, you know, you should take up yoga and do some yoga. And I was like, look, man, I am never, ever going to do yoga. And I will never, ever, ever wear yoga pants, ever. <laughs> My conscience cannot handle that. Look at verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Maybe you don't have doubts doing yoga. God bless you. Maybe you work for the CIA. If you do, I don't want to know. Don't tell me. I can't do those things. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I said a few things about conscience last week. Let me just reiterate these things, because this is really important. Your conscience is precious. It's a precious thing to you. Don't mess with your conscience. The etymology of that word is actually helpful. Con, science. Con means with, and science means knowledge. With knowledge, it has the idea of some kind of discernment that even God has put in there. And, and that's good. Don't, don't afflict your conscience. Don't mess with your conscience. Look out for the person who has no conscience at all. That person is terrifying. It's actually, that's what you call a psychotic. Someone who doesn't have a conscience. They just do psychotic things. Now, we do have overactive consciences, and that's the issue with the weaker brother. And I, you know, I mentioned last week, sometimes Mormons can't drink caffeine because it was forbidden in their childhood, even after they get saved. I told you that story last week about the new Christians who didn't go bowling, because in their minds, bowling was associated with sexual immorality. And, and in cases like that, the conscience needs to be trained to, and brought into submission with, with what the Bible actually says. And maybe, like I said, maybe some, someday one of you will convince me that yoga is perfectly copacetic for the Christian. I'm willing to have that conversation. I'm willing to take on the title of the weaker brother, even. But until my conscience releases me, I can't do that. Not in good faith. And Paul says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Not unforgivable sin, but sin nonetheless. So let's be kind to each other. And let's be kind to each other's consciences. And let's not be a stumbling block 
to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll give you another example of this. Tim Keller tells a story about a girl he knew who wasn't allowed to wear makeup to school. I think the story is really instructive. I'm going to read it for you. Keller says this. He says, I once knew a high school girl from a strict church background that taught it was sinful for women to wear makeup. But the peer pressure at school from other Christian girls raised in other churches led her to begin putting on makeup after leaving home in the morning and wiping it off before coming home. Now, now though the Bible nowhere forbids makeup, the girl was violating her conscience as she did this. She was not convinced spiritually within herself. She was choosing popularity over faithfulness to God. As a result, she soon found herself much more open to real violations of God's will in the area of sexuality. She had stumbled because her Christian friends had mocked her principles, misguided though they were. Now, wouldn't it have been better if those friends of hers at school would have would have not been a stumbling block to her, would have loved her enough to accept that difference of opinion that they had. Wouldn't it have even been better for them to maybe stop wearing makeup to school as an act of solidarity with their sister-in-law? I don't know. That would have been more loving than what they did, belittling her for being different from them and putting a stumbling block before her. And to that, some of you might say, no, 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 Pastor Tony, I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not my sister's keeper. No, no, that's what the Bible says. We're not our brother's keeper. Does the Bible say that? Do you know, you know where that comes from? That's what Cain tells God after he murdered his brother. Am I my brother's keeper? That is not presented in the Bible as a way to live. And isn't, isn't it true that in a sense we are our brother's keeper? Our sister's keeper, aren't we? Called to love each other, care for each other, help each other, strengthen each other, build one another up. You know, Rich Mullins has a song called My Brother's Keeper, and it just kind of bounces around in my head whenever I think about issues like this. I'll close with this. This is, this is what he's saying many years ago. He's saying, my friend's... My friends ain't the way I wish they were. Anybody got some friends like that? They are just the way they are. And I will be my brother's keeper, not the one who judges him. I won't despise him for his weakness. I won't regard him for his strength. I won't take away his freedom. I will help him learn to stand. And I will I will be my brother's keeper. I've called this message today Paul's Plea for Unity Part 2. It's kind of a sequel to last week's message, but I kind of think it'd be better titled Be Your Brother's Keeper. Because that's ultimately what we're talking about here. Watch out for your brothers in Christ and your sisters in Christ. Don't put a stumbling block in front of them. Don't judge them. Don't despise them. Love them. Build them up. 
in Christ Jesus. Let's be that kind of church, Harvest Decatur, can we now? Pray for me. Pray, pray for me. Yeah. Pray with me too. God, I want to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that you would help us to love our fellow brothers and sisters here at Christ, in our, in our church that, that we disagree with. Lord, it's too easy to be divisive. And what we learn from the world right now is that if someone disagrees with you, if someone doesn't think the same way that you think, you've got to blow up that relationship. You've got to alienate them. You've got to hate them. You've got to polarize. And Lord, the, the beauty of the church The beauty of the body of Christ is that we are different. We are different from one another. And that you've called us to worship together, to be one body, to be one church, to be unified. Help us with that, Lord. I pray for the strong brothers and sisters in this church. God, help us to not be a stumbling block to others. To focus on building up, to prioritize fellowship over food and fellowship over masks and fellowship over vaccines and fellowship over fill in the blank with whatever debatable issue we're dealing with right now. I pray for the weaker brothers and sisters in our church. Help us too, Lord. Help us to have discernment, to know maybe when our consciences are overactive and need to change, need to grow up, we need to offer grace to others who think different than us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Romans 14, the instructions here. God, it would be a shame for us to be just hearers and not doers. So help us to apply these words into our lives, I pray. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.